This podcast is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. If you want more information, go to ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't. But the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Frank Graff, a producer and reporter for North Carolina Science Now and SciTech Now North Carolina, both on statewide University of North Carolina public television. After spending over two decades as a local TV news reporter in at least seven cities, Frank decided to move to public broadcasting and create shows that highlight science and scientific research. He translates complicated scientific findings into understandable terms for the average viewer. And the positive feedback has been overwhelming. Frank, you've got a unique program, North Carolina Science Now. Tell us about it. North Carolina Science Now uh, came out of essentially one of the you know the goals of, of a PBS station is to meet viewers' demands, and they wanted more science stories. We had a weekly or a, a nightly news show that wasn't so much news but just interesting stories from around the state. And whenever we had a science story, the, the viewership ticked up and people were comments were coming in. And so we ended up deciding let's launch a science program. And uh, so with, you know, contributions from viewers like you, as you always hear on, on TV. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we did. And, and so uh, North Carolina Science Now um, is basically a science program. It's science because we're in North Carolina with Research Triangle and all the universities. It's science in uh, state labs, federal labs, universities, as well as private industry. And, and science is pretty broadly defined. So I've done everything from um, efforts to save the Cherokee language to shark tagging off the coast to uh, stream restoration to uh, a U.S. Forest Service lab out in the western part of the state that has 100 years of science data, of water data on this watershed. So science is pretty broadly defined. Um, I do about a five to six minute story. I do a blog that accompanies each story. And then with each story, I work with an educator to put a, a 5E lesson plan together with the story in it. So the story is, could be the engage, could be the extend, could be, it's something in the science program. Um, and, and so our goal is for middle school science teachers because uh, these are all aligned to North Carolina science standards. They can take the story and the lesson plan and say, one-stop shopping, here you go. Here's a real-world application of why this is important to know. Uh, here's the key words. Here's the things you want to get out of this lesson program. And there we go. Uh, we've been at it for three years. And out of that program, out of that story, came our new half-hour science show that's called SciTech Now North Carolina. Uh, and that has, again, grown out of viewers' comments that they wanted even more science stories. So in, North, in, uh, in SciTech is one or two North Carolina stories. But then we joined a partnership of, I want to say it's 32 
PBS stations around the country now mm-hmm. that do science shows. Um, and so we cherry pick their stories that are interesting. We send them stories. So there's this partnership to share science content. Which is becoming more and more the thing, whether it's NPR or PBS, the sharing of content. Yes, yes. And, and the neat thing is that that gives us access to uh, an interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Mm-hmm. It gives us an inter, uh, a neat story on water research in Puget Sound. So the, the viewer, the idea for the viewer is they can see some stuff going on in North Carolina and they can see things going around the country. And so. the one that you do that's specific to North Carolina, you do that once a week? Once a week. That's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> it is a challenge. It, it requires a lot of planning. Um, but it, it's fun. The, the challenge is that uh, UNCTV is the statewide PBS station, so we cover all 100 counties of the state. So when you go on the road, you want to do two or three stories while you're out at the coast. Um, it's a lot of planning, but but it's a lot of fun. Um, and the nice thing we have a basically a 15 to 20 week season. Mm-hmm. And then we go into repeats. And, and a lot of times during that repeat cycle is when you're going out and doing, you know, shooting get, a lot more Getting ready. Right. How right. big your crew do you have? Uh, two. Sounds like us. <laughs> Myself and a photographer. Uh, photographer shoots everything and then I write it. I, you know, I, I research it, produce it, write it, edit it. And then, uh, and then we go to another editor that, that fine tunes it. Talk to me about the fascination that seems to be growing with audience and science. I mean, if you look at NPR, Ira Flato's show is is massively popular. We do two hours of Science Friday every mm-hmm. every Friday. Uh, we have Radio Lab on Saturday, which is off the charts popular. When did this start happening, or has it always been there, but we in the media just didn't think of tapping into it? Uh, well, uh, tell you a little bit about my my story. You want every story to answer, you know, basic who, what, when, where, why, how. But in addition, I have every science story answer the WIFM question. So what's in it for me? So a good example, I did a story six or so months ago about seagrass research. And you don't really find seagrass in Ohio, but off the coast of North Carolina in the estuaries, there is grass that grows underwater. Several different types of grass. Some some are high, some are small, some are wide, some are thin. But there are just blankets of, it looks like meadows of grass underwater. Um, And it was really cool. And our hook for the story was that to do this research, these scientists were making fake seagrass beds. <laughs> so they'd take these giant nets that were you know, four feet by four feet, and they were tying little green ribbons in the seagrass to make fake seagrass beds. And so they would put them out into the water, let them sit for about three weeks, and then pick them up. And the idea was you wanted to see what was in the seagrass. And the reason seagrass is important is because that's where your fish dinner grows up. And then the little fish go out to the ocean, they get big, and they come back in. But that was the Wiffum question in the story. So right. you had this neat visual, but then what's in it for me? Well, if there's no seagrass, there's no fish dinner for you. 
And so that's that's my goal for every story to to answer the Wiffum question. Um, and, and I think, and I say that because I think that's part of the fascination, the, the growing fascination with science now. People are realizing, you know, this does matter. Uh, climate change does matter. It does matter that that you know rivers are not very healthy because that affects our water supply. It does matter that. The you know beet collapse disorder yeah that matters because that's how our food gets pollinated, uh, and so I just did a story on, on bee research at uh, University of North Carolina Greensboro, and one of the reasons bees are collapsing is because not just um, pesticides, which is is one thought, but habitat decline. There's you know suburbs everywhere. Nothing wrong with suburbs, but there's no meadows. There's no forests. Uh, farms are all one crop now, so there's no diversity of crops right. to pollinate. Uh, and I think there's this growing realization that, you know, everything is kind of interconnected. And we need to care about the little critters over here because the little critters affect the big critters, which affect us. I think also, and this is just uh, my uh, personal hypothesis, is as we become more and more engaged in technology, and technology plays a greater part in our lives. We all struggle to understand, some of us, just how to use it, but, but all of us, how it works. And, and I think maybe that's heightened our curiosity a little bit. No, I think it has. I, I think the, the other side of that also is that it, it's made science stories much more accessible. I mean, I can watch, I can listen to Science Friday on my phone. I can watch... Uh, you know, National Geographic little short stories. Um, and, you, and you don't have to watch a whole half-hour show. There are a lot of little web segments of two and three minutes that I can, I can watch anywhere I want. Um, and that's part of what we're doing with the Science Project. We have a whole science website where you can watch the stories, you can read the blogs, anywhere you want. And we're on, I think, seven or eight devices and, you know, outlets now to watch them. So um, it's easier to, to get to. Some of research and some of science, as is, is we well know, is, is theoretical. Some of it's data-driven. Uh, in short, some of it's not very visual. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> and, and so talk to me about how you, uh, how you factor that in and how you try to get visual elements to tell stories through visual medium on some things that just inherently aren't visual. Hmm. I, I think one of the one of the, the the things we've learned with the the science website is that you don't always have to have the traditional four to five minute story. You can do you know a, a, the bigger story on what's really visual and is really good for storytelling. There's a character. You can also just do a blog on on a topic with uh, some photos. Um, you can animate photos. Now you can, you know, the technology is such that I can make a lot of things visual that were never visual before. You we, never we, thought you'd be an animator, <laughs> did you? <laughs> no, no. And, and, and we have a tremendous, um, we have a tremendous art department at, at the station. And uh, so I, I'm working on a story right now about uh, how the state has used science and marketing to grow North Carolina's, of all things, sweet potato exports, a thousand percent. And so I, I needed a way to get from 
the U.S. to Europe. And so I said to our animator, hey, how can I do this? I'll take care of you. So sure enough, he came up with what I'm calling travel by map. And it's this little spud hopping on this boat. And you see it go across the ocean and then kind of land in Amsterdam and go, wee! And then, <laughs> you know, it drives out to, uh, you know, to cities around Europe. So there's a lot of things you can do with animation now that, that – and they don't have to be incredibly detailed but, but kind of abstract. But it, you know, it conveys what you need to convey. We, we've been uh, in Ohio, different places, uh, and we here at, at our uh, shop have been looking at animation to tell stories where – uh, the identity of of the person is is in question, mm-hmm. uh, where maybe we're talking to an undocumented immigrant, and and therefore they don't want so. But you still need a visual, right, uh, to, to do it. So animation uh, really helps. Have you yet delved into virtual reality or augmented reality as a vehicle for storytelling? Because that seems to be. We're on the cusp of that, but that really seems to be ripe in the in the science area. I have not yet. Um, there are a couple. There's a couple of stories in my little story folder. Uh, there's there's several uh, companies in the research triangle doing work on that. Um, there's uh, uh, a couple of the universities are as far as um, I forget which one it is, but one of its um, one of them is doing. Uh, some brain research for veterans with PTSD, uh, using augmented reality as a way to, to help them cope and, and understand and come to grips with, you know, the trauma they've been through. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, have not yet, though. In, in talking with your educator partner, and, and I'm sure you collaborate a, a, a great deal, have you talked about the fact that young people maybe so, not so much middle schoolers, but still middle schoolers and, and younger, are learning differently than you and I learned and, and coming up at, and they need different stimuli and how that factors into how you go about your storytelling process? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, one of the, the, the trends right now is the idea of um, – using videos, using lesson plans like we provide, uh, sometime working into the, the traditional classroom environment. Sometimes it's homework. Sometimes it's uh, a, a lot of homeschoolers we know use the, 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 use the material because it's all right there. Yeah. Uh, and it meets state standards. It meets state standards. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, back in the day, you sat there for an hour and the teacher talked to you and it was kind of the professor in the room. The trend now is to flip the classroom and have the kids learn on their own, use the videos, use the lesson plans, and the the teacher, instead of teaching all the time, is just a facilitator and answers questions and guides the student along the path of whatever lesson you're learning right now. Um, And and videos are are big. Videos are very important. Besides my stories and our lesson plans, we have a really talented animator um, who lives in Charlotte who takes very abstract ideas and makes these one little one minute animated videos. So she just did one about uh, during the the solar eclipse. She did a whole seventy second video on uh, virtu- on um, uh, awesome totality and how uh, Einstein predicted the theory of relativity 
using a solar eclipse from, I want to say, 1909 or something like that. Uh, but this was a way to um, talk about the solar eclipse, show another aspect of it in a fun, short way, um, and, and go from there. And then they used my story that I had done on these students from Lenore Ryan University who were launching a hot air balloon to look at the eclipse from 90,000 feet. So um, you had a lot of different ways to touch on the topic. And one was homework, one was in the classroom, and so it painted the whole picture. I'm interested in your preparation because you spent 25 years as, as a <laughs> – reporter. Traditional and, reporter, and, right. And and all over the place. I mean, from Maine to Cincinnati to Baltimore to, to Raleigh. I mean, you were everywhere in, in the traditional sort of nomad life of a television reporter. You took a break. You went to PR for uh, about four years mm -hmm. and, and then landed back to this. You got your degree in communication. You got a master's in political science. None of that is science-based. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so, so do you approach this just as sort of the every person, just sort of the average Joe and Sally on the street that, that and ask the questions they would ask or that get the information they need? Uh, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, you know, through twenty some years of, of traditional reporting, I, yeah, I did two things. One was um, when you cover, for example, you cover the big fire. Mm -hmm. Well, you need to cover the fire, but I, I wanted to hear what the guy, the, the firefighter man or woman at the front of the hose, trying to hold this thing under pressure, trying to put. I wanted to get their experience. So that's how I covered the fire. Um, and, and again, I, I you know, answered those five questions and I answered what's in it for me. And I never shied away from asking uh, a, a politician or uh, Bill Clinton when I grabbed him on a street corner in Baltimore, what? <laughs> what's what? this? Why? Do, why? Or, and even in PR, because you had to you know, interview your clients. And you'd, you'd do in these, these debriefs with clients, and I was always asking the, you know, the CEO, there's already – why do I need this? And, well, because it's good. Well, why is it good? I never shied away from asking questions. And, and because if it was you – know, if I had a question about it, then chances are probably one of my viewers would have probably the same question. Um, and, and so that's how I approach every story. Um, I don't like jargon. I don't like people saying, giving me this, you know, 10-minute answer because then I'm going to say, okay, so what? Put it in basic language. Um, and, and, and I think the challenge with, with a lot of the scientists that you do stories with is they're used to talking to fellow scientists. So they all use big words. and like they're lawyers all, talking to lawyers and doctors talking to doctors. Right, and the they're, they're all at the 50,000-foot level. Yeah. And, and so I bring them down and say, okay, here's what – tell me this. And, and I'll keep asking until I hear what I think is, you know, what makes sense. And then you always go back and say, okay, so this is what I, this is what I think you mean. And they'll say, yeah, that's it. 
So it's um, it's interesting because uh, you may find it interesting. We uh, uh, spring semester here at Ohio University, uh, uh, a partner and I uh, taught a, a group of twenty-two scientists, science students, some uh, seventeen graduate students and five undergraduate students, on how to interact with media. Mm-hmm. And how to take their research and break it down. It was it was an amazingly fun class to both teach and be in. But we tried to anticipate what what you're talking about because in this media age, you've got to be able to translate what you're doing and make it, uh, you know, what's in it for me. <laughs> kind you know, of approach. And I think that's you know I think that's another thing that is is uh, spurring people's interest in science that researchers are getting it that you got to do that. And for researchers, you have to get it. You have to get people interested because you've got to go for funding. And you've got to, you know, you've got to... And part of that funding process is to be able to communicate. Exactly. Uh, both to the fundies, fundors, and to the people that you're, you're, you're trying to help. Exactly. And in the, in the three years we've been doing the science project now, it, it's interesting because you'll call... PR people, or you'll call scientists, and they'll say, "Oh, oh yeah, you and CTV, yeah, I, I know your show," and and so they, we're to the point now where we're we're known enough around the state that people are ready for the way we're going to do a story. And, and they, you build a trust factor. You build I a trust factor. You have the you know they'll have visuals, they'll have everything you need. And and again, you know, I I ask them as we're doing the interview, is this what you mean? Is this correct? So I think they appreciate that you're careful. You're not just going to go out and just, you know, throw out a story. You're going to make it accurate. And the stories are accurate. I have a, uh, a panel of, of uh, scientists that, I, that review every script for the accuracy as well as just, you know, do you understand it? Um, and, and that's been a huge help. And they've never come back saying, you know, this is wrong, but they'll come back saying you might want to explain this a little more. Um, So that's a nice check. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University seeks to not only educate its students about today's communication industry, but to produce innovative leaders These leaders will shape the future of communication and its methods of delivery in a rapidly changing technological landscape. Scripps provides leadership in communication by preparing students to be effective and responsible communicators in a global society and by advancing the field through creative activity and research on communication concepts, issues, and problems. The Scripps College of Communication fosters multicultural awareness within a diverse community. It strives to create a climate of civility where leadership and innovation are prized and responsibility and accountability are understood. The college values curriculum, research, and creative activity that provides benefits to people regionally, nationally, and globally. You can learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. You're located in the Chapel Hill area, in the, that, that area, but yet you, 
all of your shows are directed to the entire state of North Carolina. Yes. Now, some people think that Ohio is a challenge because it has so many cities. North Carolina has to be an amazing challenge to cover because you go from the mountains in the west to the seacoast on, on, on the east uh, with a lot of things in between. I know that for a show like this, you have, I would assume, uh, some geographical map in your head. Oh, we've been there five times, but we've never been up here or, or down there. Talk about some of the challenges of covering a state like North Carolina. I mean, you've got everything from aquatic <laughs> to, to mountain. Well, and that's, and that's what makes it fun because there's, you know, it's a different topic, different uh, – uh, different ecosystem, different part of the state every week. And, and you're right, we do have a map that we, uh, you know, put little dots, we've been here, we've been here, we've been here. Um, and the challenge is to be efficient. So when you go to the coast, you shoot two or three stories. But then you have to also head to other places. And through the course of the season, we make a conscious effort to uh, juggle the regions of the stories we're airing. Uh, we make a conscious effort to have a diversity of, of men and women scientists, of, of different ethnicities scientists, um, different types of research. You don't want all oceanography or you don't right. want all you know, forest research. So there's a lot of the, – the, the fun of North Carolina is that it's a very diverse state in a lot of ways. But that's the challenge and you have to reflect that in the program. Um, and, and one of the nice things with the program, and because we do lesson plans, it ties in very well with um, the, the push for STEM education. And we really try for every story we do, if, if it's possible, to get some students who are experiencing this or doing the research or affected by the research somewhat. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you really have to... You really have to make an effort to cover all that to, to keep your credibility and to keep people saying, well, yeah, this guy's really covering the state because we're the statewide network. And as you so. said, that you, you deal with uh, state-funded research and state uh, research, federal research, university research, private uh, sector research. You, you have covered the whole wide spectrum. And, and again, that's you know, to, to, to increase the credibility because there's, there's great research going on everywhere. Um, UNCTV is part of the North Carolina system, the University of North Carolina system. But I don't just want to cover the University of North Carolina system because then you're looking like you're just part of the PR yeah, arm right, of the university. Right, right. And you don't want to just cover the state because we're a state agency. Right. So I, I make a conscious effort to cover private industry as well. Um, in that, you have to be careful that you're not just a you know, PR part of the company. Right. Uh, but the companies understand that, and, and they've been very good when we, when we you know, call them to do a story that you know, we just don't want to do PR. Here's the research we're doing, and here's why. Let me ask this question. I, I don't mean at all to minimize your more than two decades as a, as a television local news reporter because that's – we teach that and it's, it's vitally important. But at some point, most of the people who are our contemporaries, you know, I've covered 50 fires 
you know, I've covered a uh, hundred homicides, and and at some point, you reach the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. And so, you move to a different geographical location, and then you reach the same old, same old. That's a, a preface to the question: is for you as a visual reporter the difference between what you did then and what you do now and how you feel about that difference you know i've been i've, I've been very blessed in in my career i, I graduated with the, the degree in journalism uh, went down to cnn um, worked for a couple months at, at headline news and got a chance to come back to grad school uh, with an assistantship got the master's degree great program uh, you know i enjoy i've always enjoyed politics and uh, and then called CNN and said, hey, you know, got my master's, want to come back. I'm back. And I'm back. <laughs> and they said, that's great. You're going to start in the same position that you left. Oh. And so I went into my my advisor, who was just a, a, a wonderful fellow. He is, he's he's passed away, but um, he said, you know, if you want to be a reporter, go be a reporter. Okay. So I. Started out and, and as, as you said, went to started work in Maine and then West Virginia and Norfolk and, and at every station I've made great friends. I've learned new skills. Uh, came to Raleigh where I am now working for NBC um, and then NBC sold the station. Um, so I stayed working at this station and, and as you said, I just I, you finally get you just finally get tired. Yeah. Um, and so I, I took a break, got into PR, and, and that was an interesting experience. Um, I was pretty good at it because I had the media training. I knew what reporters were looking for. Um, but as, as the star, as the song goes, the lyric says, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. <laughs> right. And I realized that, that my heart is still in broadcasting, not as much local news because the the business has changed a lot. Oh, of course. Um, there's not as much storytelling. It's all about being live and and I'm 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 pretty good live. But I I miss the storytelling. And so when I saw the the producer position at UNC TV, um I called him and and the <laughs> the the producer at UNC TV says, "You want to work here?" And I said, "Yeah, I really do." And uh and there you know, we, we still do storytelling we still do in some ways traditional television but we have expanded and so now we have a, a, a really robust website so we do we do the story on TV we do digital shorts um, we do blogs we do all kinds of the new media it is truly multimedia right uh, right and 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 I think the challenge for still for myself, but I think for a lot of reporters, is when you go out to the story, you not only have to cover the story, you've got to take pictures for, for Twitter. You've got to think about some kind of digital short. Um, you know, there's four or five things you're going to come back with. Um, and, and the idea is that you want people to experience the story when they want it, where they want it, on the device they want it. And that's just, that's, that's the way it is. That's the new mindset you have to get into. Um, and, and you have to do that. I don't want to forget your website is? Uh, science.unctv.org. 
reporters are curious people, and mm-hmm. and you've had a history of being majorly <laughs> curious throughout your career, and won awards for for doing that. Yes. but, but mm-hmm. uh, it it's been a rewarding experience. In approaching this. I'm interested in hearing from you a a story or a situation where you went in and thought, this is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, this is going to be a dynamite story and one that just maybe wasn't ripe yet or or at the other extreme, and maybe you want to go this way, something you, you thought, eh, let, let's go do this story, and then all of a sudden it was – a major enlightenment for you. Wow. Ah, wow. Um, you know, it, it goes uh, – we'll, we'll go to the, the, the good extreme while I think of the other extreme. Um, it, it goes back to, you know, the journalism classes here. You were always, you were always taught, ask. People can always say no, ask. And, uh, and so this was, this was years ago in, in Baltimore. Um, Pope John Paul was going to come to the U.S. for his for a visit, and um, I was friends with the cardinal Cardinal Keeler at the time, who's who's recently passed away. But um, the Pope fell and couldn't make the visit, and so um, Cardinal Keeler, you know, has this news conference, kind of the traditional news conference, all the cameras, and announces that uh, that you know the Pope's not coming. He's going to hope to to make it next year. Uh, but he was going to go over in the fall around Thanksgiving to wish him well and, and to bring him get well gifts, but to bring him the gifts that he was going to be presented when he came to Baltimore. And, uh, you know, I just kind of filed that away. And so afterward, as people are, are leaving, I just I slowly walked up to the Cardinal and I said, uh, can we be there when you do that? Oh, I don't think so. What do you want to do? <laughs> And I said, well, I just I, I want to put a mic on you and be there with the camera and just record you saying, Holy Father, we hope you come back next year. He said, ah, I, I really don't think that's going to happen. And I said, well, we'll think about it. And, uh, and so a couple weeks passed, and uh, so I called the, the communications director at right. the diocese. And I asked to talk to the cardinal. I said, well, he's busy. I said, well, okay, just tell him that, you know, that, that Frank called. What do you want me to ask him? I said, what about Rome? And that was it. And so sure enough, he called me about a week later. And he said, what do you want to do again? And so I, <laughs> I explained the whole thing. And he said, okay, um, well, uh, hold on. So he puts me on hold. And then about 10 seconds later, you hear this, this double click on the phone. And he said, Frank, I want you to meet Cardinal so-and-so in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm on the phone with the Cardinal in Rome and Cardinal Keeler and me kind of explaining what we want to do. And, and that was it. And so sure enough, on a Monday, the Cardinal calls me from Rome and he says, hey, I'm here. If you can get here, we can do this. And so I get off the phone. I run into my news director and I explain the whole thing. And I said, sorry, I haven't been telling you about this, but this is what I got going. And luckily, as the, you know, the TV gods would have it, uh, we were in ratings. So he says, go. 
So wow. had my passport. Wow. My photographer had. So it was just the two of us. So we fly to Rome, meet him at the obelisk in the middle of St. Peter's Square. He takes us into the Vatican. The, you know, we sit in there in this, this little waiting room for a few minutes. The doors open up. There's Pope John Paul II and two seminarians and us. <laughs> and so he kind of looks at me. He says, are you rolling? I said, yeah. <laughs> and so he goes up. He gives the gifts. We're recording the whole thing. And then the Pope looks at me and says, who are you? <laughs> and I introduced myself. And, and he said, uh, that's good. If it's not on TV, it's not happening. And I Wonderful. said, I love that. Wonderful. And, uh, Wonderful. And, and so that was it. And, um, and so we, you know, we flew back. The satellite truck met us. We put a quick story together for the six. We did a huge package for 11. The ratings were through the roof. And, you know, it was just, I don't, I'm not scared to ask a question. The, the journalism by, by word is always ask. Always ask. Always can ask. always say no. Always ask. And, and, and there are times, and, and I can't, that's probably one of the best memories I have of my career. Um, I can't think of, of times, but there's been a lot of times when things just aren't, you know, they just aren't happening. Or they aren't right it, yet. It's just uh, not there yet. Yeah. I, I talked with Ira Glass from uh, This American Life, and uh, it was astounding to me. He said, we discard at least 50% and probably only keep a, th a third of all that we record, take. And, and he says that's the biggest challenge as a storyteller is knowing what to keep and what is not ready yet or is not ripe. The, the challenge in, in, you know, the challenge with, well, with, with TV in general, but <clears throat> with a PBS station is we don't have a lot of resources. So the, the important thing going into a story is that you've you've done the research you've talked to the folks and you got a pretty good idea of, of what you've got um we just did a piece recently uh we called it infant imaging and it was um researchers at uh, at the unc medical center are taking um are, they're doing mris on the brains of infants and there's a lot of and it's it's fascinating there's a lot of research that shows that you can identify um, some, if, if you study brain development, which is the whole goal of this, that you can identify some infant diseases, some behavior, or not behavior, development problems. Some problem areas. Right, by looking at the brain. So, so this was all set and I was ready to go. We figured we were gonna, you know, have some infants getting you know, recorded and everything. Right. And we get there and as infants don't always cooperate, there was nobody. And so I'm thinking, oh Lord. <laughs> you know, and I've got, I've got the photographer booked, we've got the time set, right. the story scheduled, what am I gonna do? And so we talked to the professor and, and there are ways around it. They had the scans, they had these these kind of plastic models of what the brains looked like. And so you you, reduce the length, you shorten the story up, but we still could cover it. And uh, with, you know, with some graphics, with, with professors, I like to do active interviews so sure. they're demonstrating things. It, it worked and you still conveyed the story. It wasn't as, as wonderful as I would have liked it, 
but it worked, and you still conveyed the meaning. Journalism lesson number two, you have to be ad- <laughs> adaptable on the fly. <laughs> Very adaptable as, as uh, you know, again, one of my professors said, TV news, 90% is television, 10% is journalism, because you got to make sure the, the lighting's right, the camera works, the sound works, and everything else. So, but yeah, you, you adapt. <laughs> Frank, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. This was fun. Today, we've been talking with science reporter and producer Frank Graff from University of North Carolina Public Television about meeting the public's growing appetite for understandable science reporting. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through Apple Podcasts. If you have questions about any of our programs or if you have comments about our podcast, please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.